0: Welcome to Mighty Parenting, a podcast with real, raw, and relevant talk about raising teens and parenting young adults. Welcome to Mighty Parenting, a community where we help you raise teens and parent 20-somethings so they can become happy, successful, and emotionally healthy adults. I'm Sandy Fowler, a stress relief guide and host of the Mighty Parenting podcast, reminding you to go to MightyParenting.com and grab your free email series on how to talk to your teen speaking of talking to our teens, one of the conversations that we need to have with our kids is talking about sex. And that's not even one conversation, right? That's many conversations over many years. There's so much that they need to know. And there's one aspect of that conversation that often gets overlooked, and that is consent. And today we're chatting with Christy Keating about this essential conversation. Christy is the founder and CEO of The Heartful Parent. She is a parenting coach who loves helping parents find more love, joy, and connection in their families and with their children. Not only does she do that, but she holds several coaching certificates and is a licensed attorney and a former prosecutor of 20 years with expertise in the prosecution of sexual violent predators, as well as being an active member of the National Coalition to Prevent Child Sexual Abuse and Exploitation. And today she is taking all that experience and all that knowledge, and she's going to help us understand what our kids need to know about consent and how we can also have that conversation
1: with our teens. So Christy, welcome to Mighty Parenting. Oh, thank you so much for having me. I'm I'm thrilled to be here and to chat with you and your audience today. As we were talking about before the show, I really think this
0: is an incredibly important topic and one that we actually haven't covered. And we've covered talking to our kids about sex in a few different ways, but we haven't gotten specifically into doing a show on consent. And this is important. And I never hear parents go, oh, you know, I got to talk to my kid about consent, or we just had this conversation, or how do I talk to them? It's just something we don't even think about as parents. And I think that maybe part of the reason is that we don't even totally understand it. Like we all have our own thoughts about what it is, but that's not necessarily what <laughs> consent actually is. So could you kick off and tell us what consent really is?
1: Absolutely. And and I love that you say that because I think you're right that this frequently gets overlooked in the conversations that we have with our kids. And I think there are a lot of different reasons for that. One is that we maybe weren't given great information or skills around this area and so we don't know what to tell our kids um, not only just about what it is but how do you ask for it you know how do you look for it and the other piece of that is we also think well i've raised a good kid they they would never violate consent or do something that they shouldn't do and unfortunately we we know that that's just not true and that our kids need some more skills around this so um, when I talk about consent I think we have to break it down and there's really two different definitions of consent and one is the legal standard right which is uh you know if someone alleges that consent has been violated that they've been violated that's the standard that comes into play in the justice system in the legal process. Um, and it is is, will vary from state to state, but is typically very focused on one of two things, either force or lack of consent. So um, someone who, you know, said no, or in some way sort of asserted that they did not want to engage in, um, in the conduct that, you know, was being put on them, I guess. So it is It's really the only definition that that works in the justice system at this point, Um, but it's not a great definition to share with our kids because when we're talking to a teenager, if we just say, well, just make sure that they don't say no, and as long as they aren't saying the words no, then you're fine, we're really missing the boat Um, and we're potentially setting our children up uh, not just for problems in their relationships, but potentially legal issues. So I like to churn and sort of make it a much more useful standard for for kids. Um, And I have what I call the gold standard for consent, which is, you know, I think when we talk to them that we've got to give them the basics, the legal definition. But then I think what we've got to focus on is this idea of what should our kids really be looking for when they are looking to engage in any kind of Sexual contact with another person. And that could be something as minor as holding hands, you know, or as um, I guess major (laughs) as, you know, the full sexual act. Um, All along the way, we want to make sure that our kids are engaging in that contact with someone that has given, and this is the definition I like to use, they have freely given their consent for mutually wanted behavior and that that consent is enthusiastic, informed, and uh, represents an ongoing agreement and participation. In other words, at that point, you know we can add in there, look, people get to change their mind at any point. <laughs> we also need to let them know that that true consent occurs between sober partners who are of sound mind and of legal age. So that's a mouthful, but to sort of put it in really short terms, What we want our kids to focus on and to look for is the informed and enthusiastic consent of their partners.
0: Okay. So informed and enthusiastic.
1: Yes. You know, and if you stop and think about it as an adult, um, contact with another person, right? Holding hands, kissing, having sex. Is more fun. It feels better for everybody involved when the engagement is enthusiastic and willing, and that's what we should want for our kids. And when they focus on that as the standard for consent, there are much they are much less likely to run into uh, misunderstandings about did the other person agree or did they not agree, you know, to what's going on.
0: Okay, Christy, I'm an adult. And I'm yeah. sitting here going, what does enthusiastic mean? Like, what does yeah. that look like? Yeah. And like, is even just holding hands, you know, do, does our child need to specifically ask before they hold someone's hand? And if they're, if they kind of shyly or, you know, they, it's a new relationship, or maybe this is, they're younger, and this is their first experience with somebody, even like I said, holding hands or kissing, or even those very introductory things, it's it it can be kind of a, what I would describe as a, a quieter or shyer response. Like, yes. what do we tell them? Do you <laughs> go ahead and hold their hand? Do you just reach out and, and grab it? I mean, that's what we did when we were kids. Like, right. someone just grab the other person's hand, not in a, in a forceful or yanking it kind of a way, but in the, in a physical asking rather than a verbal asking.
1: Yes. Yeah. And you know, um, I mean, that's certainly what's been done for a very long time. And the problem is that body language, um, is not always easy or obvious to read, right? We don't always know what another person is thinking, even when we think we might, Um, and teenagers and young adults, tweens are particularly bad at this. Um, I mean, adults are bad at it too, let's be honest, but you know, when you are, um, when your brain is developing at the rapid rate that it is in those teenage years, uh, and your social skills are, you know, evolving, shall we say, knowing just by looking or by body language, what another person wants is, in some circumstances, virtually impossible. Um, and so what we really have to teach our kids is to ask and to get, you know, at least a definitive yes. And certainly as as people get more comfortable with one another than, you know, and, and they are engaging in, in increasingly significant activity, that's where we want really enthusiastic participation. Um, but, you know, if we're talking about a kid who is, a little bit shy and, and wants to hold a, you know, girl or boy's hand for the first time, you know, just saying, Hey, would it be okay if I held your hand? Would it be okay if I gave you a kiss and teaching them to ask for that? And here's the interesting thing, Sandy is when you tell kids, you should ask, they'll say, Oh, I, I could never do that. Right. And then you say, well, why couldn't you? And they'll say, well, because they might say no right mm. they're afraid of the rejection and my response to that is that's exactly why you need to be asking because if they would say no and you do it anyway then you've just violated their body um and so you know we can give our kids scripts to use in that situation but we've got to start with the importance of asking and that's really the only way that we're going to know if that consent is um, is freely given, mutually wanted, enthusiastic, uh, or at least it's the the closest that we can get to knowing.
0: What's interesting to me in that is that is helping them to also build their communication skills and to build, start building a, a foundation or or strengthening a foundation in a relationship, whatever that's going to be. It doesn't always have to be the end all be all. This is the romance of my life, right. but it's still a relationship of some kind. And I think that what you're asking them to do is to do two things. One, think about this and what you want and and why you want it and and think about this other person as a human being with their yes. own wants, needs, and desires. And then two, to work on those skills, to work on the communication and moving past the fear and asking. And I'm also thinking that one of the things to say to our kids then is if they say, Oh, I couldn't do that, and you say why? And they go, Well, what if they say no? It's like, well, they can also say no, if you reach out and and grab their hand, they can yank it back. Or if you lean over to kiss them, they can move away or something else. And they can still say no, it's just going to happen in a different way. And then, like you said, we also have to point out that, and in that situation, if the answer was no, then you did violate their body. You, You violated possibly their trust too.
1: Right. You know, and unfortunately, uh, so yes, I mean, they, kids might still say no. The, the worst case scenario though, is the kid that would want to say no, but not know how, and would suddenly be doing something that they don't want to do. Whereas if they'd been asked about it, they might have had the nerve to say no, um, or at least have a second to think about it. Um, and so we have to help our children understand the importance of giving another person a chance to pause Think and make an informed, intentional decision, and the the best way into that is, you know, and I think we should be teaching this to our kids from the time they are teeny tiny, um, are those empathy skills and helping them understand, you know, what would it feel like for you if someone just reached out and grabbed your hand and you weren't interested in holding their hands, um, and so you know, asking them to put themselves in the in the shoes of that other person. Um, can can help them understand why it's so important to ask, and then we've got to give them those relationship skills, so that they do know what to do if the answer is yes, and they do know what to do if the answer is no. And you know, the easiest response if someone says no is, "Well, thank you for telling me. I would never want to do something that made you feel uncomfortable."
0: Oh, it's beautiful,
1: right? Um, which. And, and and now the person that they're with is like, oh, this is a really good person. I mean, you know, a really good guy or a really good gal. That's really respectful, and it really just builds up their uh, opinion of the asker. When when we say something like that, or when the ask, when the uh, you know, when the the one who has asked can say, "Wow, I would never want to do anything to to violate." your trust or, you know, to do something that you didn't want to do with your body. And I think part
0: of the conversation with our kids is also helping them to remember that this person saying no to whatever physical form of, of desire, appreciation, caring, love that you want to show in that moment, them saying no at that moment is not, them rejecting you as a person, as a human being, as a date, as a whatever, that is just their need for themselves and their body in that moment. And right. this comment made me think of it because I've been talking to different people, adults, and we're, we're talking about the stories of meeting our spouses, getting married. And there were several of us who were like, oh yeah, we met and we went out and then we didn't. And <laughs> Then I went back and I'm one of those, like I, I was dating my husband and some other people and I just went, you know what? I'm done dating. I'm just done. Yep. I couldn't get him out of my head. And so I ended up going back to him a few months later
1: going, Hey, would you like to go out? You know, I'm giggling because that's my story too. Oh, really? <laughs> yes, It's my story. I went out with my husband a few times. I was dating some other people too. And I, you know, just my, my husband is one of the kindest, nicest men. And I was like he's just so nice, and I didn't really know what to do with that. Uh and you know, a while later I thought I I really I was really intrigued by him. So I went back to him as well and you know, and then fell hard and fast.
0: <laughs> when you said he's one of the kindest guys, I didn't know what to do with that. I guess that's another conversation with yeah. all of our kids, and especially with our girls, I think, because it's put out there. It's put out there in books and movies. And and there's this idea of romance and love and passion that is based on a system
1: that pays no attention to consent whatsoever. Right. That's absolutely right. And, and, you know, um, (laughs) Yeah and it, I know how to talk about this stuff now but I was not given information about this as I was growing up. Um this was not something that we talked about in my family and I have amazing parents I love them dearly but we just did not talk about this kind of thing. And so the narrative that I created was based on the things that I saw in the media and that I you know in movies and all of that and Um, And it's not always the healthiest narrative. Uh, It's certainly not one that's based on consent. Um, It's, you know, you never, or I would wager to say almost never, maybe never see in a movie, someone say, hey, can I kiss you? Um, Like, that's just not what's being portrayed for us or our children. Um, And that's why it's so critically important, I think, for us as parents to get in there and, and share a different story or a different narrative with our kids and overlay our own values and, and things on top of that, but also help our kids figure out what are their values? How are they going to handle this? Um, and get them thinking about some of these situations that maybe many of us as adults were not ever asked to think about, um, you know, when we were in that dating phase and, you know, I'm lucky that I, I was intrigued by this incredibly nice, gentle, wonderful man, uh, and found my way into that. But, you know, and I'm not saying I had terrible boyfriends before him, but, but I had just never really talked about relationships and love and what that was supposed to look like. So that's a part of this consent conversation is, what is a healthy relationship look like for our kids?
0: And what do they want? We've talked about yes. this before on the show, right? Talking to your kid about what do you want in a relationship right now in the future? What does dating mean to you? Because it means different things to different people.
1: Yes. It does. And I think that's such a valuable question to ask and you know, I I'm also a positive discipline educator and I so I talk a lot about the idea of leaning in with curiosity and asking questions instead of lecturing our kids. And that question that you just raised that, you know, what do you want is so valuable because when it really comes down to it and what the research definitively shows is that our kids want one-on-one loving relationships with a partner, but what they think they should have, or what, you know, sort of gets portrayed in in the media and in music and, you know, I mean, in all sorts of arenas is that they should be dating a ton of people and, you know, uh, that there's something wrong with them (laughs) if they're not going out on a different date every weekend. Um, and so getting into that question of what do you want? What do you want that relationship to look like? How do you want to feel in that relationship? And, you know to bring it back to the consent idea, how do you want your partner to feel in that relationship? Um, can really help them visualize what it is they're they're looking for, how to um recognize what's what works for them and what doesn't. So yeah, I, I think that idea of leaning in with curiosity and, and getting them to start forming some of their own ideas around this is so incredibly valuable and potentially more powerful for them than us telling them what they should want.
0: I agree. And I love what we've been sharing here about conversations. I also want to turn our conversation a little bit because it's not intended to scare parents or to scare kids. And yet there are legal ramifications. Yes. Two things happening and things that our kids never meant to happen. And I think of situations, especially where you see in oftentimes it's a, a boy girl relationship and the boy is 18 and the girl was 16 or 17, which is not a crazy age difference, Right. but they decide that they're going to get, that they're going to have sexual relations. And next thing you know, there's a mess, there's a breakup, there's parents get upset, whatever happens. And this boy is caught up in the legal system and is now had his life destroyed. So we need to understand, I think, how these things can blow up, how innocent situations, you know, normal everyday situations can blow up in our kids' faces. And I think those are conversations we need to have with our kids too.
1: We do. And um, you know, there's sort of two different things that that come out of the question that you just asked or or what you just said. Um, and the first is that idea that uh, our kids can get involved in relationships where there's an age difference that could potentially cause problems for them. Now, this is a place where it is going to vary from state to state. So it's important that um, parents know and can share with their kids what the law is what the rules are in the state that they are in or in the state if you know if we're talking about young adults or um, kids that have gone off to college like what are the rules in the state where they're going to college if they're if they're leaving their home state Um, and a great resource for that is uh, rain.org which is r-a-i-n-n.org and they have a sort of a comprehensive summary of the state laws related to this in every state in the nation, um, and so we do need to make sure that our kids know that that they've got to be aware of some of those laws. You know, the second piece of that, and I, I mentioned this a little bit earlier, is as parents we never want to think that our child would do something illegal or would push past another person's no or would do anything where consent was not, you know, freely and enthusiastically given. Um, and the reality is that, you know, unfortunately sometimes, and, you know, good kids do bad things. Um, and often that's under the influence of alcohol. Um, but alcohol legally speaking, doesn't provide uh, an excuse for that behavior. So that's why it's extra important that we're talking to them about what consent is, what it means that, you know, the, the other person needs to be sober, they need to be sober um, if they're going to be engaging in this condu- conduct so that they're not getting themselves um, into legal trouble or into a situation where they just realize that maybe they did something that they shouldn't have done.
0: And we're talking about the legal side of it. And while legal actions can happen, can take place, you just hit the nail on the head too. Our kids have to live with what they do. Yeah. And we want to help them be able to look themselves in the eye, in the mirror every day and feel good about that person.
1: Yes. Yeah. You know, there's a, a, another, uh, educator in this area who says, look, our we, one of the things we can ask our kids is, could you look at your parents or could you, you know, would you be willing to tell your parents what you did and be proud of your behavior? Now, that pre presupposes an open and honest relationship between child and parent. But, you know, would you be willing to advertise this conduct, right. That you engaged in with someone else to your grandmother, to your parents, because you, it was the right thing to do. You, you, it was right for you. It was right for them. You believe that you did the right thing. And if the answer to that is maybe not, or a firm, no, then that should absolutely give our kids some pause, um, you know, because it is, they do have to live with their behavior, at whether there's legal repercussions or not.
0: Right. And there are, there are a lot of things that can happen in this area. It's, as you said, their brains are developing, they're communication skills are developing, their social skills are, you know, everything's still under development and there's so many ways things can get derailed. But one of the other areas that is totally new for parents, because we didn't have smartphones when we were kids and we don't really understand all of this and and even why our kids do it, but talk to us about sexting.
1: Oh, yes. So this is a, a common uh, concerned that I hear from parents that I work with and parents inside my membership community and all over the place. Um, because you're right. I I mean, I didn't have a cell phone until I was in my thirties. And so, or a smartphone until I was in my thirties, I didn't grow up with this either. Um, and you know, so sexting is just to sort of define it, um, is the transmission of sexually suggestive photographs uh, typically over text which is where we get the sexting but you know they can these photos can also be transmitted by email or over snapchat or you know private other private messaging things and kids are always finding new ways to communicate with one another um and and that's terrifying to us as parents right for a number of reasons so there's first what what we need to understand as parents and that is that this actually is fairly developmentally expected for kids. There's curiosity, right? There's um, about bodies, about one another. Uh, it's sort of a really modern version of passing notes in history class, right that what what I did. And um, now, I wasn't sending pictures of myself naked, but, um, but it's it's sort of an updated modern version of that. Now, the fact that it might be developmentally expected does not mean that it's okay. Um, and so we have to understand and help our kids understand, first of all, that everything that they put on any electronic medium, whether they, you know, where it look, whether it looks like it's something that disappears right away or not. So text message, Snapchat, um, you know, or any of the, there's new mediums coming out all the time that kids think, oh, it just goes away when it, you know, when, when we close the chat, it disappears. Um, and what they need to understand is that that's not true. And that everything that they put on the internet is both public and permanent, because there's a million different ways that that information can be shared um, by the recipient of that message or someone that you know inadvertently sees it. Um, and so we have to help them understand that. The second thing that we have to help them understand is that, again, depending on where you live, there may be legal ramifications for sexting. Um, now, some states are rap- or are sort of trying to play catch up here and get the law to catch up with what's going on with our kids. So I live in the state of Washington and here the laws have been revised in the last couple of years so that when one teenager under the age of 18 transmits a photograph to another teenager under the age of 18, that will no longer um, be illegal conduct. But you painted us, you know, a picture earlier about well, what if one of the kids is 18 and one of the kids is 17? That certainly not would not be an unusual scenario. I mean, even within the senior year of high school, you probably have half the kids are 18 and half of them are 17 and, um, and they may very well be dating. Once you're 18, you're considered an adult for legal purposes. And the possession or the transmission of a, a photograph that's you know, sexually suggestive nature, um, or has, uh, you know, someone that is not wearing clothing under the age of 18, now th- that person's in possession of criminal material. You know, child sexual abuse material is what it's considered. We often hear that called child pornography, but uh, that's a bit of a misnomer. So there can be real legal ramifications um, for this behavior. And in many states, including mine, when someone is charged with that crime, if they are convicted, they are required to register for the rest of their lives as a sex offender. So I, you know, I don't want to scare parents or scare kids, but that's the kind of thing that people need to be aware of. Cause there, there are real consequences.
0: Well, and that's what I was alluding to earlier. I wasn't quite ready to go there yet in the yeah. conversation because we were having such a great conversation about the conversations to have right. with our kids. Right, right. But Talk to us about that because as a parent, you know, we hear this and I see that. And in when my kids were younger, you know, you would, they would tell you, go online and check out where there are sex offenders in your area. And I've done that. And I looked at it and I would look at it and I'd be like, you know, chances are this was a kid dating somebody. And the, the concept that that's there for the rest of their lives, even if it wasn't for the rest of their lives, we're talking about kids who are they're finishing high school they're taking that first huge step of their life of setting up their life whether they're gonna you know start a business or go to a trade school or go to college all of that's going to be impacted their future yeah. is seriously derailed because they did something like this so For sure. how as parents how can we talk to our kids and get this idea across to them because Sexting is considered normal in so many of their social circles.
1: Yeah. So a couple of things, and I just want to correct one sort of idea. So there are, Mm -hmm. most states have something where you can look up, you know, sex offenders in your area. Mm -hmm. Now, again, I don't, I cannot um, verify that this is true in every state, but um, in many states, including the one that I live in, the only ones that are visible to the public are the more serious sex offenders that are deemed likely to reoffend. There's a whole nother class of sex offenders deemed not likely to reoffend that are, you know, in our state called class one sex offenders. They are um uh those are not available to the public. So when I was a prosecutor, I could see that information. I would have access to that information. If someone was charged with a crime, I could tell obviously whether or not they were registered as a sex offender. Um but you know the idea that all sex offenders are visible to the public is is for better or for worse, not true. Um, so that's that is both a good thing and a bad thing when we talk about offenses like the one that we're you know, talking about today. However, uh, having to register as a sex offender is a very serious consequence. Um, And it follows you for the rest of your life. Anytime you move, you know, anytime you travel, um, that is something that the state has to be notified about. Um, And of course, anytime you apply for a job that would need to be included on any job application, you'd never be allowed to work with children or around children, you know, there's all sorts of, of limitations that that places on you as an adult that it's hard for kids to think about that. And I'm not a big fan of just outright fear tactics with our kids. Um, You know, we have to engage them in conversation and talk to them about why they might be doing this behavior. And they need to know the very real consequences. So, um, you know, in terms of talking with them about it, I think it's interesting. We, We as adults, and I think the kids have this impression too, that everybody's doing it so I should do it too. The, the statistics don't actually show that everybody's doing it. It's a, it's a smaller percentage than we think. And I've, I've seen a variety of statistics, but I'm guessing based on what I've seen, we're looking at it somewhere between 20 to 30% of kids engage in this. So that gives us an in with our kids to say, you know what? The majority of kids aren't doing it. And ask them questions like, well, if everybody's doing it. Does that mean that your friend, you know, Hannah is doing it and your friend Kelsey is doing it and your friend, right. And we can, we can sort of poke holes in, in that argument, um, logically. So helping them understand it's not everyone helping them understand the consequences of it. And then asking them, as you, you know, mentioned earlier, sort of what, what would you want out of doing that? What would be the reason for doing that? And is this really going to accomplish the thing that you think it will? And helping them think critically about that behavior.
0: I like that. And it continues in that same vein as part of the same conversation. Because I agree with you, right? Well, number one, scare tactics. I really don't think they work. I think they tend to go one of two ways. They either terrify our kids right, or the kids go, yeah, whatever. It's not no one wants to be talked to that way. As an adult, I don't want someone to try to use scare tactics to right. impact my behavior. Right. Talk to me about it. It's the same way that you're asking us to talk to our kids. And then I had one other question. Yeah, Are there any differences or nuances that we need to be aware of for boys, for girls, for LBGTQ kids? Is there anything that's really different or is it kind of, no, it, no matter where your kid is coming from, this is it. I mean, this is the bottom line.
1: Yeah. So that, that's a, I love that question. Um, and when it comes to talking about consent, uh, and how to ask for consent and how to give consent and how to, you know, giving them some tools around that. I think that conversation is going to be pretty consistent between girls, boys, LGBTQ, um, like all kids need that discussion. Um, and the reality is that children of both genders or or all I should say all genders, um, you know, male, female, non-binary, and kids of all sexual orientations can commit a sexual offense, right? They can they can violate someone's body. So they need to have that information. Now, we do also have to recognize that statistically speaking, the exceptionally large majority of sexual assaults are perpetrated by boys and men. And the very large number of victims are girls and women. Um, And so we we have to recognize that reality. And we need to be also having safety discussions with our children. Um, And, you know, with all children. But I really advocate for separating the conversation About consent from the conversation about safety. So, you know, I'm a mom of two daughters. I live in the real world, and I think it's really important that my daughters know things as they grow. And now I have an 11 year old and a three year old. So, you know, my three year old (laughs) we're we're not having this conversation yet, but um, you know that as they grow, they need to know things like drinking excessively can put them at risk. They need to know things like putting your drink down in a bar can put you at risk. You know, they need to know walking in a dark garage at night can put you at risk. Those are all safety things that we need to talk about with our with our kids. But I I advocate separating those conversations. You know, conversations about what they wear and what message that might send or what you know whatever. I advocate separating that from the consent conversation and for a couple of reasons. One, Our kids don't want to talk about this for hours at a time Two, our children need to understand that when it comes to consent, um, anyone, you know, a girl, a woman, anybody should be able to walk down the street completely naked and be safe, right? The, The fact that they're naked, the fact that they're wearing revealing clothing, the fact that they're drunk, you know, the fact that they've put their drink down does not mean they are inviting a sexual assault and, you know, that they are deserving of respect, whether they are modest or immodest. And so that is what needs to be the very clear messaging in the consent conversation. And then we can have some real world conversations with our kids as well in a separate vein about what do you need to do to also keep yourself safe?
0: So I, had I hope not that- thought about- Yeah, that's brilliant. And I had not thought about it and as, I, as you're talking about it, and I'm thinking, they're also very different kinds of conversations. I mean, the safety conversation is much more matter of fact, the same way that we taught them to look both ways before they cross the street and wear a helmet on their bike and all the other little things they do. That is not coming from the same place of relationship and empathy and building skills, lifelong skills yes. for- Living with other people. It, yeah. It is, but it, it's not. <laughs> right. So it's going to a whole different place and it's a different kind of conversation. And you would have it at a different time. Maybe. The safety thing might just be a, some of those things are going to be little quick reminders on your way out the door. Hey, you guys are going to a club. Don't forget to keep an eye on your drink. If you leave it, get a new one.
1: Yes. Yep. Yeah.
0: Those are just little things.
1: Yeah, exactly. And, you know, I know there's a lot of questions parents ask about like clothing, you know, my daughter's wearing very revealing clothing and, and that's a tricky conversation. And that's why I advocate, we've got to separate those two things out. There's the, yeah, she should be able to wear whatever the heck she wants to wear and be totally safe. And, you know, we need to also tell our kids, look, if you see, uh, and I'm just going to say woman for the sake of this example, if you see a woman at a party who is you know, wearing a very short skirt, her top is cut down to here, you know, she's drunk. Um, She's, uh, you know, maybe she's high as well. I don't know, whatever the set of circumstances are, and she's passed out in the corner. That does not mean she's inviting sexual contact, right? And in fact, that's when we've got to teach our kids to step up and take care of her. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, to help to be the helper, or when you know when you see somebody then going towards her to walk in and say, yeah, that's not okay. And so to be the you know be the one that steps in and and protects people. In a separate conversation, we can talk with our daughters about you know what does their clothing convey, and do they want to think about what their clothing might convey, um, you know, and what can help keep them safe. And so they, they really are separate conversations.
0: Right. And the different ideas, like in theory, I should be able to just leave my doors of my house open and no one come in and take my stuff. Yep. And depending where I live as to how comfortable I am, like, do I lock them 24 hours a day, whether I'm in or out? Do I get an alarm system? Do I leave it hanging open? You know, that's, those are choices that I make. Right. Right. And, and understanding that, well, I, I loved this, Christy. This is a great conversation. So for anyone who wants to get more from you and learn more from you, where can they find you?
1: Yes. Thank you. You know, there, um, there are a lot more obviously that we could talk about around this. And so what I have done is put together um, a, a five page uh, handout worksheet, if you will, that parents might find really useful in Know, touching on some more specifics, like how do we talk about alcohol? How do we talk about pornography and all of those things that impact this with our kids? And if parents would like to access that, they can find me um, and download that at the Parent, which is H-E-A-R-T-F-U-L, parent.com slash consent. Um, and it's really easy to, to get access to this uh, handout that I hope will give parents more of what we've been talking about today.
0: And you have a lot of great information on your website. So that's just a good place to explore after you get the handout.
1: Yes. Yeah. Lots of, lots of great resources there, both from me and then other reading that I recommend and and yeah, some some stuff I hope will be helpful to parents.
0: Well thank you again, Christy. I appreciate your candor and your insights and and just some suggestions on how to get these conversations going.
1: Well, I am so grateful to you, Sandy, for having me. And, and, you know, this is important information that that parents need, but we just don't talk about it enough. So thank you for creating a a forum for that conversation. Oh, thank you.
0: And thank you, listeners, for being here. I appreciate you being with me. Remember to go to MightyParenting.com and grab your free email series on how to talk to your teen. And just thanks for joining us today and being part of the Mighty Parenting community. Remember that you are a Mighty Parent. You got this. I will see you next week.